Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Neck Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. All right, Dean. This is another one of those ones where we're, we're just going to get to the heart of the matter pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. We need subject matter experts. That's right. We need because... subject matter experts. We're talking about point of sale. Yes. We're talking about payments. That's right. Something you and I both acknowledge we know virtually nothing about. Right. We like to pay for we, things. Uh, well, we have to pay for things. Have you met my family yet? We I pay for a actually. lot of stuff. I met, yeah. <laughs> but I've heard stories. <laughs> there yes. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, so we're going to talk about that stuff. We're going to talk about what's going on trends and retail and hospitality. Mm. We've got a, a great panel of guests with us. Yes, we uh, do. We actually have a live audience for this too. Yes, so we do. Is, we're, we're recording this with an actual audience yep. watching and listening in. Yep. They'll be able to ask questions of Peppering our in panel. Some questions. That's right. That's yes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we have lots of good stuff for you today. So rather than us take our usual amount of time to banter and try to oh, be witty, dude, we here, gotta hop in. We're going to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. As I mentioned, we uh, we have a fantastic episode here. Yes, but we first do. First of all, I want to say a big thanks to Zebra. Yes. For sponsoring this yes. particular live episode of the podcast. And some thought leadership for you right there. They are. Mm. And they are a regular sponsor of our podcast, our mm -hmm. TechNet program. We thank them very much. But let's give a quick little shout out to them. Yeah. And a little note about something they've got going on. So, Dean, Zebra and Blue Star. That's right. We've done it again. <laughs> We have. <laughs> well, if you weren't sure what that is, we have combed through our partner's Zebra sales history and created a custom report to help you identify opportunities yes. to update outdated technology and unsupported operating systems. So whether you're trying to get people from 1D to 2D scanners, those mm -hmm. kind of conversions, mm -hmm. uh, maybe 2G, 3G to LTE devices, mm -hmm. EOL windows to Android devices, mm -hmm. Uh, maybe upgrading somebody to the cloud in some way. The Zebra Refresh the Base report has it all. Boom. Now, live viewers will get a link to request their report in an email tomorrow that'll come from GoToWebinar. Yep. If you're listening to this podcast or watching it later, go down to the show notes underneath this episode and you'll find that link there. But I highly recommend checking it out. Absolutely. Uh, so Great program. There's no reason not to request this report. I mean, unless you just Dude, don't it's like making more yeah, money. Right? <laughs> like, like, you know, fruit right at the bottom of the tree. It's easy yeah. to pick. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, we're yeah. doing the work for you. You don't We've have to do it all yourself. Yeah, We're right. doing the work yeah, for you. You just got to so. pick up the phone call. Exactly. That's so right. go check it out. Again, big thanks to Zebra for sponsoring this. Yeah. All right. Let's quickly roll through our uh, our guests, our panel here, our fantastic panel we've got to talk yeah. with today because they're gonna, they're the guys you're going to hear the most from here. That's right. This is one of those times Dean and I are just going to lay back and let them do the, the work for us. Uh, so first of all, we have Andrew Kim. He is the Zebra Director of Product Management for POS and Payments. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Uh, Andy Zanger, the CDW Director of Strategic Industries. I think that encompasses a lot more than it sounds like. Right, but, yes. And Andy's actually been on the pod recently. If you go back a thought. few weeks, yeah. we had him on talking about uh, customer journeys, experiential shopping, all that stuff. So I recommend checking out that podcast. And then finally, Jeff Riley, the CEO of Retail Management Hero. We wanted to get somebody on the software side of things mm -hmm. coming here and chatting with us also. So that's our panel. They're the folks you're going to hear from. So let's get to it. I want to get into to some like questions it. and conversations yep. Yep. here. Uh, so first off, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the point of sale and mobile point of sale, tab POS in particular, mm -hmm. hot topic in the world of retail, yep. hospitality. So, but you know, I, I wanted to kind of give us a little bit of thought and think about our our most businesses 
especially at the SMB level, where I know a lot of our VARs tend to play, mm. are they still opting for consumer devices? Are they mm. still thinking like, hey, we can manage this with our phones and our devices. We'll yeah. buy a bunch of stuff on the cheap and give them out or whatever. <laughs> I, I, I upgraded my kid's phone and so we can use use this one. This yeah, one's laying exactly. around. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My my iPhone 8 will still work, right? <laughs> um, or is Or do you guys think that the momentum is shifting to purpose-built MPOS hardware, which I know, which is what most of us are going to advocate. But what are you, what are you hearing out there from you know actual customers in the field? Andrew, I'll let you kick this one off and answer first. Thanks, guys. Um, so you know, it's a great topic. Uh, one of the things that um, that when I, in, in the work that I do, I, I deal with a lot of the the, the, the top tier customers and, and and really don't have a view of SMB like I would like to. Uh, those are some things that we'll we'll get to eventually. Um, the question on hand, you know, is, you know, is there a shift happening at the uh, enterprise level? Um, and, 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 you know, uh, what I'm what we're noticing is that there is a shift. There has been a shift from, you know, from uh, consumer devices to uh, to more purpose built devices in a, in a general sense. Um, the, uh, the the fundamental reasons are all about durability and life cycles uh, and, and, and consistency and manageability. And those are the things that, and, and deployments, right? Um, consumer devices are great, but after a year or two, you're pretty much done. Um, the support is, is limited and, and, and really, you know, what we're, you know, what people, uh, enterprises are looking for are something that's stable uh, and, and, and can stand sort of, you know, over time. And then, you know, they can make the change in hardware when they want to. So yes, there is a shift. There's a couple of large retailers that I'm specifically working with that are looking to replace, you know, the front of the store, uh, the, the checkout uh, that they have, uh, that they're using, you know, they're currently using an iOS device, uh, an iPad, for example. And um, they've made the shift to Android and, and they're going to, you know, make the, the shift at the front of the registers to, to Android. Um, there are, uh, there's another large uh, retailer that we're working with who's actually, um, you know, considering using their mobile app that they have uh, as the, the front end for, for some, some of the basic pause activities that are going on. And then within the departments themselves in, in large, a lot of the large stores, there's a, there's a, a desire to sort of, uh, you know, leverage the footprint of, of, of the smaller devices to be able to service the customers, you know, one-to-one. So um, again, is it a you know a macro shift that's happening you know at an accelerated pace? Probably not. Is there a shift that's happening? Uh, I, I believe that there is a shift starting. Uh, to say where we're at in that shift are, is, is a bit uh, different. Uh, we, we need a little bit more data to see where we end. And unfortunately, COVID didn't help us, but I think that's when the shift started and then it got sort of delayed. So uh, anyway, long-winded answer to your question. There is a shift that, that we see uh, in, in our space. Uh, at the SMB level, uh, it's a little bit harder for me to, to tell at this point. Jeff, maybe you could chime in there because uh, you know you you're maybe a little bit more in touch with the SMB level. You starting to see some more purpose-built devices there, or are kids still bringing their uh, iPhones and you know checking people out on that? Well, you know the world of SMB is a is a big and broad ocean. Yes. And <laughs> you start with the the small mom and pop retailers who their primary consideration for any any technology solution is cost. Uh, so they're naturally going to have a discussion with their, their reseller to say, can we use our own devices instead of buying specific devices for uh, the application that we're interested in? And you often find the resellers getting into positions of, you know, this is just going to be a nightmare for me to support. So they try to educate the retailer on uh, here are the pros and cons. 
but then as you move up market into upper SMD, um, there's more thought and consideration to the overall end-to-end -end operation and reliability and problems with older devices and uh, aging batteries and um, uh, not as much of a concern around uh, theft of, of uh, sort of store-provided devices. And so you get a little more maturity and wisdom in that discussion between the reseller and the retailer. So uh, by and large, we are seeing a, a little bit of a shift on the mobile device side to purpose-built devices, and it's fueled by um, more and more mobile solutions uh, becoming the norm for adoption. This is true. And and when you look at some of the statistics around MPAWS, nearly one in four people in the world used mobile payments in 2023 so far. So yeah, you've got a lot of uh, you've got a lot of uh, people out there that are clearly starting to get into and utilizing the MPAWS world. And Andy, uh, we talked a little bit about this though. Some of the some of the issues with people bringing their own devices into into the the store establishment, right? You've got security issues, I guess, at the top of the list. Where well, if you're bringing in a device that's not yours, that's not locked down, what the heck is the going same on? device that you're on TikTok and yeah, Facebook right. and <laughs> exactly. sketchy so, apps with? Yeah. So your thoughts on purpose built you know units and in, in mpaws and, and what you guys are seeing yeah i i definitely agree with both andrew and jeff i think we are absolutely seeing more interest in purpose-built devices especially in the enterprise space um, but even on the smb side i think people are starting to realize the complexity of the management as well as um, the lack of ability to consolidate a lot of the um you know different uh functionalities into one device and then also the durability issues, right? But I think what I'm seeing, especially as you start to move up market, is more so around both the manageability and that, again, going back to um, the ability to have multi one device that can do multiple things really well. Um, and, and so, you know, having communication built in with their point of sale, with their ability to do clienteling and inventory management, having that true purpose-built device for retail, Although the initial upfront price might be more, the long-term overall uh, cost of ownership is certainly coming down and, and giving a better ROI. Um, yeah. The other thing is too, I think, uh, sorry, Dean, I think I cut you off there. Yeah, no, go for it, Andy, um, nope, keep going. The other thing I was gonna say is too, it, you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, when we're looking at mobile payments and, and different payment technologies that are evolving, is the implication, you know, obviously PCI 4.0 is, is gonna be a huge topic coming up, you know, and and the new requirements that are going into place, I think that may also eventually drive more, uh, you know, more users towards a purpose-built device as the, the encryption and the security might not be quite where it needs to be, uh, you know, for some companies. Yeah, actually, if you don't mind, uh, John and Dean, I just do want to uh, sort of uh, feed off of what Andy said about that. So, um, you know, several years ago, PCI released a specification for, you know, something called COTS-based payment commercial off-the-shelf devices. So you take a commercial off-the-shelf device, you download an app, you connect the reader, you can have a turn it into a payment terminal. Or in the current state, you know, you don't even need a reader, you just do tap. Uh, and there, the, the that was, I believe, built for small business or designed for small business. Mm -hmm. However, um, given the, the the cost benefits of doing something like that, there is a shift to, 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 to this type of COTS-based payment. And, and one of the cool things about it is is that um, with the right infrastructure solution, you're actually able to secure a device. Uh, and, and then again, even though the, the idea is that you can do consumer devices or anything off the shelf, 
bringing it back to this purpose-built MPOS, um, having an enterprise device with the durability and the life cycle that's, that, that, that businesses require um, is the perfect platform for those types of solutions because you not only get the benefits of commercial, you know, um, off-the-shelf, you know, sort of, uh, a payment that that's coming with this this new technology, but you also get the durability and the longevity um, with these these hardened you know purpose built devices. Which and again, the the best part is that to, to Andy's point, it's this multifunction unicorn ulti, uh, you know all in one device where now you can do everything on you want on your device and payment versus you know uh, being an Android payment terminal and only being able to do payment or a couple apps or being an Android terminal or a regular payment terminal and only doing payment. So it allows us to start expanding the use cases that, that a customer can sort of start attacking uh, with these types of solutions that are that are sort of, I call the next generation. Yeah. And kind of walk, walking down that space real quick, let's go back to, to the multi-use of the unit itself, like these MPOS units that are out there, which are, you know, handheld devices, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's tablet or a mobile computer, I think that Andy kind of opened up the door and in and, and the use of whether it's communications or other things. So I was in a large sporting goods store, uh, name un unknown or, <laughs> or unsaid, uh, but it was a good customer experience in the sense that we were trying to get shoes and what they do is they just, you know, you tell the attendant, what are you looking for? And then they, boop, they can see if they have it in the back right, and so right. they're using this device for scanning they're using it for looking up stuff uh, I don't know what do you think Jeff it, you know in your world are you start are your customers asking you for multi-use devices like not just the point of sale not just the MPOS part of it but what about this this uh, you know idea of using the device for multiple uses communication look up endless aisle those types of things yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Dean, because um, there's not just the matter of the store associate on the floor helping customers. That's definitely one of the popular scenarios that we're, we're seeing and responding to with our, our market needs. But uh, there's also the physical inventory counts and the receiving of purchase orders. And uh, it, the list goes on and on. The manager that wants instant access to reports that doesn't want to have to walk over to a terminal or take up a, a terminal when uh, during busy periods of the store. Uh, so yeah, we're seeing we're seeing that uh, devices that are more capable to perform greater functionality uh, are definitely what our resellers are gravitating towards for a number of scenarios. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of the frictionless uh, environment that we all want to kind of live in. Yeah. Like, oh, so. oh, you got it? The product's here? Oh, okay. Can I check out right now? Or, yeah. Oh, I have to walk all the way over there or wherever, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. No, right. you, you appease the customer. And again, you're helping out the employee by just giving them one device to do everything, not six devices they've got to figure out how to tote around and take <laughs> you up to a cash wrap to check you out, too. So, yeah, seems right. Uh, yeah. Andy, yeah. you opened the door earlier to talking a little bit about payments and the, the PCI 4.0 implementation in particular. Mm. It's underway here so let's let's dive a little further into that so if shifting over this payments side of the questions here you know what should we be doing right now proactively to help organizations with this transition you know and what does this mean for the continued the continued evolution rather of contactless and other non-traditional payment types i think we've hinted at that a little bit and for the device side but what does this mean on a broader level of how do we go out and tackle this knowing that there's you know new guidelines new implementation going underway here again i don't know as much about payments as i should other than i just like to pay for things but i'm, I'm hoping you can help us understand a little bit more about where there might be some opportunities at play here 
Yeah, no, sure, John. And and Andrew kind of touched started, you know, touching on it a little bit. You know, I think as as it comes to MPOS, you know, there, there's already been things in in previous versions of PCI that that we're applying to to MPOS. But I think the you know the reality of it is that you know when we look at where retailers are today. I think it was Verizon who did a, a report last year, released a report last year around payment security. And I, it was a shocking number that I think only about 43% or so of retailers were actually in full compliance of, of, mm -hmm. of you know, the PCI. Mm -hmm. um, so when you think about that, and that was actually up somewhere in the area of 15% from the prior year. So mm -hmm. when you think yeah. about where retailers are today, um, there is a long way to go to get fully compliant for most retailers. And so I think what 4.0 really does is represents an opportunity for retailers to reset and come up with a plan. So I think it's, mm -hmm. you know, it really starts with talking to your customers about where are they today? Do they actually know where they are today uh, and know where their gaps are? Um, you know, with 4.0, there's some good and bad things in there, good news and bad news for retailers. Um, you know, on the positive side, there's actually a little bit more flexibility in PCI 4.0 to a certain degree because it allows retailers to come up with a customized approach to meet some of the standard requirements. The downside to that is that's great for your enterprise class companies who have the resource to do that, but the requirements to actually show that you have a strong plan, have tested it and, and have the proper training in place, um, you know, to actually be compliant with that customized plan could be challenging for some smaller retailers to actually implement. So I think ultimately it starts though with talking to your retail customers about where they are today. Do they un even understand? And if they don't understand where their gaps are, is starting to get some assessments rolling, bringing in a QSA to actually look at where they are. And, and obviously it's going to vary from depending on the tier of the retailer, right? The, the higher up you're going to go, the more stringent the requirements are on that retailer. So, but starting with understanding where you are, it, it would be the first place that I would say you're, you're going to need to help out. Interesting. Andrew, your comments on uh, PCI for the transition thereof? Yeah. Um, so uh, everything Andy said, I'm 100% aligned with. Um, for me, when I see PCI 4.0, the first thing I think of is security and cardholder data. Um, you know, the reality is that, you know, uh, you know, gold cardholder data is gold. I don't know how else to say it. You can't let mm -hmm. it go. You mm -hmm. can't, you got to protect it and you got to do everything you can to protect it. And as long as there's that mentality, um, you know, it's, it's really the right way of, of doing things, right? You, you, you know, obviously it's good for long-term business as well as, you know, making sure that you don't have to pay fines and all, but ultimately it's really comes down to, you know, uh, something, you know, in terms of the security of getting into the cardholder data, getting cardholder data. And then once you have the cardholder data, making sure that it doesn't escape, right. And it doesn't, it doesn't show in the clear and, and those types of things, again, need to have a conversation, like Andy said, uh, you know, the, the you need the QSAs, you need your people to, to actually tell you the things. And again, for smaller businesses, uh, maybe not so much they have QSAs, but at the end of the day, they should be asking the question, does your payment solution, um, you know, meet these needs? Are, is my cardholder data protected? Is are there, you know, uh, multi is there multi uh, factor authentication when I'm logging into my point of sale application? Uh, all of these things sort of combine and, and sort of build toward the greater. And, and then again, it's 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 a hard conversation, but it's something that absolutely is required. Um, you got to protect the data, right? Um, so. 
And indeed, Andrew uh, brings up a great point too, you know, around, you know, some of the, you know, of, of what is being asked of, of retailers with 4.0. And I mm-hmm. think one of the, going back to your original question about, um, you know, where can retailers start? You know, one of the new requirements, you know, does talk specifically about making sure there's training programs in place and awareness of your employees, you know, around addressing phishing and social engineering, um, you know, and, you know, how you look at engineered attacks and things of that nature. So I think there is, you know, some of the easy steps to start getting towards that compliance is making sure that you have those workforce development programs in place to, that your, uh, your, you know, your employees are, um, you know, trained properly. And then also implementing things like two-factor authentication, you know, for anyone that has access to any of the systems. So those are some really fundamental things that, are basic requirements that you should be doing for your business anyway to make sure that you're protecting your security of your data. And that's ultimately what PCI is doing, right? It's it's protecting the data um, that you're housing. And, and so it's best practice anyway to be doing that. So it's a great place to start actually. And, and um, that would be one thing I would certainly recommend. Always a challenge if you ask me, because it's incumbent upon the reseller to to try to advocate compliancy with their end users, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of the road, was it Andrew? You said 43% still are not compliant to PCI can st- uh, standards. So it's like, you know, so I don't know what we can do about that. Uh, Jeff, I, I know you're not a PCI expert, but you're just your take on, you know, retailers or your, you know, end, end users and their uh, apparently, 50% of them don't really care about PCI. I, I don't know. Of a, 50% of a, don't care about your security. It's don't, fine. I don't yeah. know of another way to phrase it, right? I mean, but, but we've known that for uh, forever. You know, PC becoming compliant, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, you know, maybe we're compliant. We we don't care until we get hacked, I guess, or or something happens. I don't know. Just your take on, on the whole thing, you know, the reality well, of it. It all started with the the card brand oligopoly having a problem, coming up with a problem they couldn't solve, so they made it everyone else's problem. Um, <laughs> you know, we start there, and then as a software company, we we understood that we had a way to skirt this issue entirely, at least as it relates specifically to PCI, with the advent of semi-integrated payments. And so that's the that's the strategy we've taken as a software developer. That that doesn't get our customers off the hook for these requirements. Right. Um, and and uh, in SMB, it's really complicated for retailers to understand what this all means. But mm. the way I look at this is an opportunity for resellers to educate customers, uh, because one of the fastest growing areas for uh, IT services is uh, security, uh, yep. digital security and the advent of what's happening with cloud and um, uh, the the exposure that happened in the you know uh, ten, ten starting 10 15 years ago with uh, data breaches and uh, so there's an awareness about all this stuff but really this is an opportunity for resellers to have um, discussions uh, with their customers to build trust and credibility around looking at their organization and their enterprise as a whole as it relates to security and how PCI fits in but I can't comment specifically to PCI 4.0 yeah. because we have other fish to fry at our company. Right, right, right. No, I think that's that's brilliant. And it backs up what Andy was saying. This is a good time to reset, right, Andy? Is that what you're saying? Or for you know organizations to say, hey, what is our exposure? What is our position as it relates to this, this security here? Mm-hmm. And, and is this a good opportunity to reevaluate the whole thing and get caught up kind of a thing, right? So good yeah. advice there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think also, you know, if you're if you're a bar listening to this and thinking like, hey, I don't know where I really sit in this whole equation. Mm. What Andy was just talking about there about re-educating and mm-hmm. training sessions and, mm-hmm. you know, dive into cybersecurity needs or a fundamental understanding of like how to make sure that you're not 
falling victim of these these scams and these hacks or whatever, that could be something you offer up. You know, maybe it's not your bread and butter necessarily, but if you're fluent in this stuff and mm -hmm. you, or if you know someone that could come in and, mm -hmm. and help out with that, that's just the kind of thing that you could approach some of your customers and Absolutely. say, hey, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel or do anything special with you, but yep. it sounds like you're trying to get compliant here. Yep. Uh, we've got some folks that we can come in and help train your people. Let us help you do it. That's, that's sure. a value add we can add here. Maybe it's even something you do for low cost or free, just as mm -hmm. you know, for them mm -hmm. being a customer to help them out. So yeah, yeah. never hurts to throw that a little extra value add in there. Um, since you know that's what we call ourselves at. Uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> we're gonna put that value add in there. You right? better have some value to add. So. Oh man. Uh, all right, well, let's let's get into the software angle here. And Jeff, we're going to lean on you a bit more for this one, since that's your bread and butter, obviously, too. But um, as more of, you know, retailers, especially, again, on the SMB level, start moving from Windows software to, to cloud-based. They, they understand, like, hey, you know, we, we need to get off-prem. We need to go to the cloud. We have, you know, multiple locations we need to connect mm -hmm, together. We need to have mm -hmm. better control over our data. Mm -hmm. And you've got a lot of startup companies and restaurants and retailers that are going to start off there, too. So how important is it for VARs to bring in software partners like you know, Retail Manager Hero that can help customize a POS to specific segment needs? Not just a one size fits all, you know, drop it in, here you go, here's your POS, but to actually figure out what a specific segment of retail, whether it's grocery, hardware, you know, a taco store versus a fine dining establishment or whatever, you know, how, how important is it to have that kind of relationship with someone that can do that? That's a great question. I'm going to try to be concise with the answer, but it doesn't lend itself to being concise. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, again, in SMB, we've seen a, a general trend for highly capitalized companies um, like Toast and Hospitality uh, to come in with sort of uh, cloud native applications. And the, the mind share of customers is that the cloud is the future when in reality, there's always been a pendulum around on-premise and cloud computing. And really as a software developer, we wanna to try to look at technology objectively and find the best uh, attributes of cloud computing with on-premise and build that into our, our, our product strategy over the course of our roadmap. So you have uh, new, newer upstarts that are cloud native, and then you have companies like RMH uh, which have started with uh, on-premise architectures, are spe specifically as SQL.NET based, looking to modernize and hybridize their architecture. Um, now, it is generally true that cloud applications are um, harder to customize and more rigid in terms of uh, not being as flexible and supporting very specific industry segments and the specific niche requirements that, that are implied. I'll take a pharmacy as an example. Pharmacies have quite different requirements than supermarkets do because of all of the drug regulation and prescription processes and uh, things like that. Um, so we've seen cloud applications focus on industry segments specifically and not be very multi-purpose or multi-segment oriented in a lot of cases, not so much in hospitality, but certainly in specialty, hard, uh, uh, specialty retail. Um, so the, the VAR is left with this. Uh, the other thing that the VAR has to really consider as they look at picking up a cloud application is that typically the partner programs for cloud products are less rich than they are for on-premise applications, which are more, by definition, multi-segment, more horizontally aligned. So in the case of Retail Management Hero, 
Uh, we actually have partners that go across the board in terms of who their target customer is based upon the fact that we're a horizontal product. You can take our product and go into liquor stores, and we have partners that focus very heavily just on beer, wine, and liquor. We also have partners that are more enterprise-oriented that have taken pieces of our product in our, uh, in our suite and gone into pharmacy and customized it specifically with their value add of deeper focus on pharmacy capabilities to result in a very industry-specific solution that we would have never gotten to on our own. So I guess bringing it all back around, um, you know, the VAR has to kind of consider before they choose products because there's really a tight coupling between who the vendor's target market is and who the VAR uh, targets as their market. And if the VAR is comfortable in one segment, thinking about a software vendor to partner with to go into that market, uh, be careful, buyer beware, be careful of selecting a cloud product if you think you want to go multi-segment because what that often means is selecting multiple vendors on the product side. Um, so, so these things are interconnected and related, um, but it is very important if they want to focus on multi-segments to think about the VAR, pro the, the ISV products in, in ahead of time before they select their vendors uh, based upon their business strategy and their vision for, for how they grow. Yep, good stuff. Good stuff yeah. yeah. Uh, Andy, Andrew, any, any additional thoughts there around partnering with software partners and to, to kind of customize? Yeah, I, I think, you know, just to add to Jeff's comment, I, I think the other challenge when you start dealing with um, the second, you know, more segmented cloud providers is how many partners as a, as a VAR do you really want to manage, right? How many relationships do you want to have to have there? And can you add enough value to all of those partners to actually be a meaningful partner for them? And, and if the answer to that is you can't because you're too spread out, um, then how strong of a relationship are you going to have in return? So I think it's it's really a balance, right? You know, there, there needs to be some level of segmentation. Um, you know, obviously an apparel company is not going to use the same exact tool that a grocery store is going to, right? Apparel needs to worry about things like color and size, you know, in their point of sale and grocery needs to worry about things like weight. Um, you know, so there is certainly a balance of a certain level of customization for industry or, you know, Dean, you know, you know, I, I certainly don't want, uh, you know, my, my pizza shop using the same, uh, you know, point of sale that, that's being used in apparel, right? I want to make sure I get True. that pepperoni and the right toppings on each, you know, on half my pie before, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get a red pie or a green pie. I want, I want some pepperoni and sausage, you know? <laughs> that's a good point. It's uh, true. The only the only thing that I would actually add uh, to everything that, that Jeff and Andy said is that uh, I think Jeff uh, and his company are a very brave uh, lot. Uh, the reason I say that is because, you know, personally, the, the experiences I've had, point of sale is a very long, uh, difficult decision for a lot of people. <laughs> it's a it's a big, big uh, it, it, it runs your whole business, uh, if you can look at it that way. And so it's not a trivial decision. And, it, and I think a lot of small businesses, SMBs, they see, you know, the, 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 the pretty hardware uh, in, in certain places. They see, you know, an all-in-one cloud. And, and, yeah, those things are great. And, yeah, there's a level of customization you can do. But, again, I think to be really successful in, uh, in, in, in your industry, wherever you are, what vertical you play in, you need to have some level of, of, of you know, customization that, that really 
meets your customers' needs. And and again, that's why I say Jeff is a very brave guy because software, uh, point of sale software, is is not an easy thing. It's it's a very long long cycle, and on top of it, the customers, you know, they have so many different requirements. It's it's absolutely crazy uh, how much there is. <laughs> so anyway, well, they don't call a retail management hero for nothing. Right, right? there's got to be some bravery there. So. <laughs> They are the Let heroes. Hear about that name. That, that, that our software helps our customer be the hero. We are not claiming oh, to be the hero. Uh, good like stuff. Uh, all right. Well, okay. We we started off talking a little bit about zebras. Refresh the base. Yes. So let's talk about refreshing or replacing established point of sale because we know that can be a pretty big uphill battle for mm-hmm. for our bars going out there to try to figure out like. Hey, I know these guys are using something that's outdated, it's outmoded. They probably know that too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, making that shift, that switch can be a pretty monumental undertaking. True. Um, so we've done some surveys around this um, with on our Blue Star Nation blog. One of them we did with restaurant owners. Uh, they 49% of them said they would not consider changing their point of sale. Uh, another survey Oof. we did with retailers, 38% of them said they would not consider. So that's a pretty yeah. sizable... Yeah, so four out of 10 are like, no thanks. Yeah, it's a pretty yeah. sizable battle you're facing there, folks that will just kind of already, when you walk in the door, saying, no, we have no particular plans to change. So, mm-hmm. you know, what tips do you have for working with those? Not necessarily even on the side of like trying to force them to change, but if you do encounter that, you know, alongside that effort to maybe get to the change, but if you do encounter the the hard no, we're just not going to change, we're satisfied with where, where we are. Any kind of tips that you have for uncovering or creating new opportunities to sell, uh, you know, other technologies, other things, you know, if, if, if that point of sale aspect seems to be off the table. Uh, Andrew, why don't you kick this one off? Um, so, so the, 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 the biggest part about switching, um, I know that, so uh, again, from a, from a retailer or a restaurant perspective or a restaurant, sorry, perspectives, SMB perspective, it's a bit harder for me, but, um, there are customers that are actively looking at it, uh, and, and talking about making changes. Um, there's probably, you know, out of the last, you know, 10 customers I've talked to, maybe about half of them are talking about making switches. Um, there's a variety of reasons why they're looking to it. You know, they, they, what they have today isn't meeting their needs or it's a lot, you know, it's very difficult or, you know, it's making changes. It's the agility that the, that, that the larger customers are looking for that I see, right? They're looking to be able to make changes on the fly, do certain things uh, a little bit more, have more control versus the standard older, you know, types of point of sales. Uh, that's where some of the newer stuff uh, sort of seems to fit in is that there's a lot more flexibility for these people. Um, you know, it all, you know, when you're talking about switching uh, or upgrading, it really comes down to, you know, how much pain you want to tolerate and, and how how much, you know, it's it's really required. Like, you know, you know, there are businesses that, you know, do, you know, something small or something, you know, fairly standard, then they can get away with things for a while. But the more complexity that you start adding to your business, uh, it, it becomes an inevitability. You've got to you've got to start thinking about you know uh, is this going to be a long term thing and how, how do we make it a long term thing and and then so those are the sort of the starting points. And again, as I mentioned in the last segment, uh, you know effectively um, it is not a short term cycle. It's not a short conversation. It's a, a it's a it's a conversation that takes you know months to possibly even years. People have been thinking about it and then they'll they'll plan it for the following year and then they'll get funding the next year. And it's just like, so it's a, it's not a simple process. And But again, you have to start the conversation. Do you have what you need to compete, not just for today, but you know tomorrow, uh, maybe five years down the road? And if the answer is no, you really need to start thinking about what is it that's gonna put you in the position that you need to be 
And that's the sort of conversation that we would, you know, I would be, I, I usually have with my, with my customers, right? Yeah, terrifying with a little obsolescence. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Do it or die, you know. Yeah. Uh, Andy, what about you? What, you know, what does your team do when you're when they're going out there and they get some hard nose or no, we're just we're not doing this. Go go away. We just don't want to have this conversation. Do you guys pivot? Do you do you have talking points? Are they similar to what Andrew mentioned? Yeah, I don't know that there's a one size fits all answer to that. You know, because it, it really comes down to understanding your customer and and what they're looking to achieve and where they are with their experience. Um, you know, I would say, first of all, when it comes to the, the hard no on the point of sale, my gut tells me that's probably being answered from a software standpoint, uh, not necessarily a hardware standpoint, because with the software, you're talking about that retailer's ability to transact and also their employee training uh, and the customer experience that get, gets impacted by a change of software platforms. I think, you know, there's opportunities, if that's the case, to still look at the hardware they're using and how they're using uh, that equipment. Um, so. It might be about modernizing and, and incorporating mobile point of sale into that that solution. It could be about you know upgrading other components, you know their scanners, for example. Uh, you know there might be faster scan times on on, on newer scanners than older ones. Uh, it could be around replacing some of their printers and and maybe incorporating some Bluetooth printers to put them in different parts of the store so that their so store associate. Um, you know, experience is a little bit better when they, they are with their customer. They can actually transact on a mobile device and send that, that receipt if they want to have a physical receipt to someplace else in the store that the store associate can grab. That's not necessarily changing their point of sale. Um, it's adding more technology on top of their existing platform. Um, but ultimately, for me, I think we would have a conversation around what does that experience look like today? What is the ideal experience look like? Um, and then also, you know, we talked about it last time I was on on the podcast, uh, John, is that what is the store associate experience like? And is there friction in that store associate experience? Because anytime your store associates are feeling friction, your customer is going to feel it. So how can we remove friction from both of those processes um, and, and help the retailer in that way? Definitely. It's uh, Jeff, what about you on the uh, on that software side? If someone's a hard no and it's because of the software, what do you guys say and do with them? Well, I think this is just an opportunity to really understand why a little bit more. Um, it, you know, if plan A was to switch or upgrade their point of sale and they're not receptive to plan A, my first question is why? Because the more you understand what pressures they're feeling and what um, fears they have or risks they perceive by making this when when you otherwise think it's a good idea for them, uh, the more you can um, be on their side and thinking about how they look at uh, what their next plan is. And if you have a bag of tricks that has a lot of other um, tools in it, a lot of other services or products to sell, uh, just that discussion alone of having the insight into uh, why they won't switch might open up a door to sell them something else that really the goal here should be to secure a, a relationship and a, and a trusted, uh, respectful, um, you know, rapport with the customer. So that that's what I would say at the at the top level. And let's get into the you know because obviously one of the one of the issues is always going to be cost. You know well, what what do I need to replace? You know it's running on Windows ninety five. I've had it for <laughs> twenty five years. You know the the expense to go through to to replace. Why why do I need to do that? So Jeff, are you starting to see more as a service type of our our you know our customers coming and saying, okay, forget the capex. You know can can you make this an opex or 
uh, type of solution? Are you winning deals by by offering some something like that, or what? What? Just your take on that in general. I, you know, there's a lot of different attitudes and perceptions out there about this, and we don't know enough to make a decision to that that wouldn't be perceived by our partners and customers to be hostile by some. Yeah. They yeah, say we're to only offer it this way. So we so we offer our products both ways, and we mm. allow our partner to have that discussion with the customer to suit their needs. What I will reflect on that's related to this question about switching or upgrading point of sale is that, listen, retailers don't fix something that isn't broken. The number one reason that they want to switch or upgrade their point of sale is to respond to something that is broken. It's not working for them anymore. Whether that's the product, whether that's the service they're getting, whether that's a capability limitation that they now have because they're growing and they want to try something new, um, or whether it, it, you know, it's it's not likely to just be that something a shinier toy comes up in their view and they, they're <laughs> excited about the possibility of a a new better mousetrap. So um, really having the insight into that. Uh, that that what is what is broken? What are you trying to do in the future that you can't do now? Are are you experiencing death by a thousand paper cuts because every time you need something you're charged for it? Um, you know those are, those are all things to be mindful of. Yeah, good stuff. That's true. You know, I think the only other things I'll add here is, you know, if, if you if you feel like you are in that situation where it's just the hard no, like, yeah, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen again, to your point, if it ain't broke, why are we going to bother fixing it? Well, then fine. If it's if it's within your wheelhouse and your capabilities, try to do some pivots, ask some questions about other stuff going on in their business. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of seeing the pressures in those ways. Yeah, yeah it's well, kind of sales one on one. But, mm -hmm. you know, but I think sometimes if you start asking questions about other parts of their business, one, it might lead you to other business that you can win. It also might lead you to actually back to that POS conversation. At some mm -hmm. point. So maybe you're talking about stuff like inventory management. Maybe you're talking about like, hey, are you planning or do you currently offer like delivery, curbside pickup? Do you want to get into omni-channel? Um, you know, what's your what's your printing status look like? You know, how are you doing marketing to your customers right now? Mm -hmm. You get into that some of that stuff, and maybe you have other technology you can offer up to them. But a lot of that stuff is probably going to tie back into the point of sale as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you can, you know, if you're if you start that conversation, you go down that path of like, yeah, we really want some better inventory management. Like, you know, what happens at the register versus what's happening in the back room or in our warehouse yep. Yep. are not connected in any way. It does, you know, we don't have any real time info. Great. Hey, maybe if we upgrade your point of sale and also upgrade what's going on in the inventory management side of things, all those things can work together to make that a better experience, right? It's the kind of the back doorway into potential. Yeah, but it all ties back to the POS, right? I think and yeah, Andrew exactly. kicked it off right by saying it's mission critical. Yeah. The decision on POS is this is mission critical because if I don't have this, I don't really have a, a store exactly. that's up and running. And, and so it is, it's critical. It's yeah. good to tie in, in those things. I think, you know, the play of, well, hey, it, the addition of a kiosk or digital signage, or are you interested in these other technologies could be a backdoor yeah. into. And I, and I just that. think, you know, maybe for a lot of retailers, especially, you know, if you're just like working with a mom and pop store or, mm. you know, a local regional chain or something that hasn't given this stuff a lot of thought, they may think when you're having that conversation, that is literally all you're trying to do is you just, you're trying to sell them a new cash register or mm -hmm. some new software to ring folks up. And they think that's the basics. Like it's, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm, I'm good. I can ring folks up. I get their payments and it's all good. We, you know, yeah. why do I need do to I change mean? anything? Yeah. Right. Not realizing that the interconnectivity with the rest of their business that could potentially be involved there too. For sure. So. For sure. Yeah.
All right. Uh, hey, this has been a fantastic set of questions we've gone through here, but we do want to open it up for our audience to start yes. asking some questions. Yes. Uh, if you haven't done so already, open up the GoToWebinar dashboard. There's a little questions tab there. You can type a question in there. I'll be happy to, to relay that to our panel. It doesn't get uh, to be a better panel than this. So if you got questions, yeah, you no should doubt. Be answered. You're, you if, should be if, if you're not going to take advantage of this opportunity, what are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you like you trying to get some kind of credits or something? Yeah, I don't really. know. You know, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. there's no um training credit to get out of this. Nope. I'm sorry, I can no. tell you. I mean, yeah. I mean, I could I could make up some incentive. It's not Tech Connect certified. That's <laughs> exactly. right. <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, before we do that, though, while we're waiting on getting some questions, a big thank you once again to Zebra and all of the sponsors of our Tech Connect podcast, our Tech Connect program. We could mm. not do what we do without you. This is true. Uh, again, if you're if you're listening to this, if you're not already someone who listens to the podcast, this is a perfect opportunity to get involved with our show. We've done over a hundred. 50 episodes over the last what are we going on four years now i guess yeah, we've been, geez, we've been it's doing been that this. long we'll yes. go three years what uh so uh there's plenty of backlog plenty of you know uh, back episodes to get into lots of talks about retail and pos inventory we, we we talk about a wide breadth of stuff and a lot of different topics a lot of different industries uh if you um you can find a lot of different places to go to youtube the, the Blue Star YouTube, we have a Tech Connect podcast playlist there. You can find all of our episodes there to watch at any time. Mm -hmm. And if you just like to listen to audio podcasts on the go, whether you're you know, working out, doing the dishes, whatever it might be, uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, anywhere that podcasts are found. So perfect time to go uh, subscribe to us and check in on some old episodes and keep up with the new stuff as it comes out in the future. Absolutely. Yep. All right, let's wrap up here. Normally at the end of our podcast, we have a segment called uh, Value to the VAR, mm -hmm. which is kind of our way of uh, wrapping up our conversation with a takeaway for our audience. But instead, this time, that's where we figured, hey, we've got folks actually watching this who can ask their questions of what takeaways they want to get out of mm -hmm. this. So let's dive into it. I've got a couple questions that have already come in from folks that are watching right now. Uh, here's the first one here. Um, uh, this kind of refers back to our initial question about um, you know switching over to purpose-built devices from the consumer. Ah, uh, yes. And this person is concerned a little about the security side of things. So mm -hmm. as much as they say, as much as having POS being able to multifunction in other areas apart from payment is a good thing, obviously. What about the cyber dangers that may be associated with it? So what what thoughts do you guys have about that? About you know the security angle of switching you know from a maybe multiple devices to a single device that includes the payment aspect but also inventory management and all the other all stuff, the other stuff yeah andrew maybe you got to take on that yeah yeah so there's a couple ways that you address that today right so the traditional way of addressing it today is that you have like a traditional mobile payment terminal from you know the large you know the, the payment companies um that are you know basically bolted on to the back of you know uh, of core devices, consumer or uh, enterprise. And uh, effectively, they isolate the, the consumer device to just be, um, you know, uh, the data transport, for example, and all the payment happens on the payment terminal. Um, there, that's been around for, for, for many, many years, and that's the traditional way of doing mobile payment. Um, there's goods and bads with all of those things. Uh, that's one way of doing it. Um, when we talked a little bit about the, the, the future of payment, or at least the, the next generation of payment, uh, we talked about this, you know, uh, these, these uh, COTS-based payment, commercial off-the-shelf device payment. And there you would be able to take, you know, for example, a Zebra device or, or an iOS device or, you know, any device really that's officially an Android device or officially an iOS device, download the app and, and you know, connect the device. And you're like, well, 
again, the question, well, what about security? So these solutions, these next generation of solutions, the reason why they're different from Android payment terminals is because there's a cloud security aspect to it, uh, to the specification that actually requires you to run security checks on the, the commercial device um, before a transaction, during a transaction, and after a transaction. So it's always maintaining that. And when you don't have the security that you need, payment is disabled, whereas the rest of the device still remains functional. Um, and, and again, there you're able to download any app you want, install any app you want, do whatever you want. Uh, and those are the two different ways that you have uh, you, you address the security aspect. So going to the in this traditional sense, you know you have the ability there. Everything is contained within the payment terminal. Um, in this next generation of payment, it's cloud-based, and, and, and you know there, there's a security check that runs on the device, ensuring security. And then with Android payment terminals, it's a lockdown terminal. You you know you basically need special rights and permissions to be able to install apps and. And, and do those things. So that's fairly secure in and of itself. But the problem there is that's a double-edged sword. It's secure, but you can't really install, you know, mm -hmm. a ton of apps. If you have 10 apps that you have to install on that device and um, every app and every update requires a special key and approval, that's 20 times that you got to do that within a year. Um, mm -hmm. How many businesses are prepared to do 20, 30, 40, hundreds of, of updates uh, and, and approvals just for a payment terminal, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is where you, you know, it's a great device, it looks great, it feels great in your hand, and it does exactly what it's supposed to do. But again, there's downsides. So this is where, you know, customers need to decide, you know, what is it that I'm trying to do? Am I being single purpose? Am I gonna be multi-purpose? If you're gonna be single purpose, not a problem. You can choose traditional mobile payment without a host device. You can choose an Android payment terminal, and then if you want to be multifunctional, you can go the traditional payment, the bulky device uh, with, you know, with everything strapped together, or you can go with this new next generation of COTS-based payment, which, again, has the security, cloud security, to, to be able to do the things that you need to do. Interesting. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jeff, Andy, anything else you'd add there? Yeah, I think what I'd add, John, is I would think about it this way. So if the concern is having all of your different information and functionality on one device, and that poses a bigger security risk. What I would ask back is, is it a bigger risk to have one device with all your information or is it a bigger risk to have four or five devices that you need to protect? Um, yes. Because at the end of the day, if you get into one device, that can get you into a network that can give you access to everything within your organization. So is it easier to maintain one device and secure one device or four devices? Good point. There you go, there's yep. your answer. <laughs> Before, unless, you're, unless your job is, so ahead, everyone, you know, loves Batman, wants the Batman belt, but then when they actually go into retail, they're like, I don't want the Batman belt. <laughs> <laughs> Too many gadgets. Yeah. Uh, were you going to add something? No, there? no, no. Go ahead. Okay. So another question we got came in here. Um, this could be a loaded gun one with a lot of answers, but what is the biggest change for point of sale that you have seen in the last five years, not including mobile POS? Hmm. Who wants to take that one? I, I would, you know, I, I'm happy to say that if there if there's one, it's the notion that uh, point of sale used to be looked at as something that a store associate did on a terminal, and that now 
point of sale is omni-channel. Uh, COVID came along and changed all the different buying and, and fulfillment scenarios from a, a brick and mortar perspective to pick up at curb and buy online and all these other variations. And uh, so mobile devices and uh, technology, um, as well as the consumer shopping behavior of millennials and Gen Zs being more comfortable with this stuff, have kind of turned the traditional sense of terminal-based point of sale on its head with uh, a brand new demand for flexibility and workflow scenarios, device configuration in the, in the whole layout of the topology of point of sale and how retailers even think about point of sale. So I would say that uh, the, the term point of sale is, is a little bit anachronistic. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that really this represents more of a retail workflow than it does about a transaction over a counter between a consumer in a store and a store associate. Well said. Yeah, yep. definitely. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts the rest of you? Anything that's really changed about point of sale? I, I would agree with everything Jeff's saying. The only thing that I would add to that is self-checkout and, 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 and self-service. I think that that's the biggest trend that's really um, you know, dominated over the last couple of years and it's growing. Um, is it the right thing? You know, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of the, the kiosk sort of space, you know, was, um, you know, probably there, there's a couple of big brands that, that, that drive the, the experience or at least uh, drove the, the market. Um, and, um, you know, everyone thinks that that's the future. But, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, some of these, these original players in self-checkout actually don't like it, not because, you know, of, of the what you hear on the news, but because, it's it's a it's a flow thing and it's it's the user experience issues and so again uh, like Jeff said there's you know the of all these different ways of talking and then communicating but ultimately you know um, that communication really needs to be crystal clear between the customer and then the merchant so that you know these types of experiences can really you know excel right like self checkout is is heading that way, uh, but again, people love it or hate it, and and but that is the biggest trend that I've seen. Yeah, yeah, that old generational thing that we keep talking about <laughs> around here, right? Yeah, it yeah. is indeed. Grandma and grandpa gumming up the works at yeah. the uh, self checkout. That has a negative impact on everybody else around. And everybody loves it, but yeah, but there's always it just takes one to kind of mess the whole thing up for everybody. So, um, let's let's talk about payments again, real quick, um, because again, you know, a lot of folks when they mentioned what they wanted to hear about, wanted to talk more about payments. Are mm. there any other kind of payment trends? that all of you are following are things that you think it's important that we be paying attention to and talking about when it comes to the world of payments? Yeah, um, so, you know, I think uh, a lot of people are, are eager to see contactless grow um, as a, uh, a form of payment. And I think that um, that's something that everyone's driving to. Um, the, the problem is that I, you know, right now, uh, even though, you know, probably 50% or more have it configured or access to it, uh, only about 20% use it um, in a day-to-day -day basis. Um, the, you know, one of the things that I keep telling people is, you know, everyone's like, well, you know, contactless, tap and go, tap and go, it's awesome, right? And it is, no no questions about it. But the, the problem is that when our parents start using it on a regular basis, that's when ubiquity kicks in. That's when it becomes, you know, the primary. And until then, you still need to be able to support the different ways the customers want to pay. You can't turn a customer away because they don't have their contactless card enabled or their Apple Pay or Google Pay configured, right? You've got to be able to support them in every modality. And that's really, 
you know, one of the, the things that people are asking uh, that, you know, like, well, what about Contactless? When is that going to take over? And it's, again, that's really, it's going to be a while. We're still trying to kill Magstrip, right, uh, as, an, as an industry. <laughs> that's, you know, how long has that been? So, um, you know, there are other parts of the world that are that are doing it faster, but fundamentally, you know, we've got a again, it's going to take a while. And 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 the the clearest sign that I can I can see is when when my parents start using it, then I know that it's 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 prime time, right? Yeah. Uh, and there you should be. Over. You know, someday that'll be then that'll be our kids talking about us saying, you yes, know, right. yeah, when my mom or dad starts using it, they don't yes. know it's actually happened. So, that my thing true. I always go back to is the um the gas station. Yeah. The moment that a gas station starts taking like contactless payments, they don't know we've actually shifted a little bit. There's a couple out there that do that. Do they? Oh, yeah. Well, like, that's, that's true. I've yeah. noticed like Costco does. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's it's one. The, I always feel they're one of the last ones that make any kind of payments changes. Yeah. Whatsoever. Talk about an investment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, Andy, any additional thoughts on payments from either of you? Yeah, I was going to say one thing. I'll add on top of what Andrew said is. I would say as a VAR, work with your retailers to make sure they're implementing the technology that they have, right? One of the things that drives me crazy is when I go into a retailer that has a pin pad that is contactless, and then you go to tap on it and it doesn't work uh, because they haven't activated the features, they haven't implemented it properly. Um, and that, talk about a bad customer experience. I love tap to pay, I love using digital wallets. Uh, things of that nature. And and so when I go to do that, and I'm sitting there tapping it four times and then the, 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 the store associate finally says, oh yeah, we don't, we don't do that. I'm like, well, the symbol is right there on your pay pad, <laughs> on your pin pad. So how about, uh, you know, working with your customers to make sure they're leveraging the, the purchases they've already made, you know? Yeah, so Preaching true. to the choir on that one. So yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No doubt there. Let me help you to help me. <laughs> <laughs> definitely all right well i don't see any other questions that have come in from our audience here um but if you know if you're listening to this after the fact or if you're watching and you think mm -hmm. of something later don't hesitate to uh to reach out oh to you us. can always reach out to us you, know, yeah. you can email us techconnect mm -hmm. at bluestarinc.com we're not going to have the answers for you but we'll put you in touch with these brilliant people who might have those answers right. for you yeah uh so don't hesitate to reach out if you have any of those additional questions if you're listening later and you're like man i wish i'd been watching so i could have asked mm -hmm. andy X. this question yeah. Toss it out there. We'll be happy to to toss it their way and have them answer that for you. But uh, for now, let's let's wrap things up with our usual fun, exciting segment we like to do ah, at the end of every yes, yes, every yes. episode of the Tech Connect podcast. We like to have a little bit of fun. We do by ending with a segment we call "What's Tech Connecting with You?" Yes, this is where we just riff on something in the world of science, tech, business, innovation. A little lighthearted here, just right? something yeah. we feel like talking about that mm -hmm. day. Dean and I have done this over 150 times. Yeah, we have. Uh, we're actually not going to do it today. We're going to let just our panelists do it, save ourselves one of our tech connecting for a future episode. All right. But I'll, I'll let you guys kick it off. Jeff, I'll let you start this one. What's tech connecting with you right now? What are you excited about in the world of tech? Oh, my. We weren't prepared for this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that makes it even better. I, I, I'll tell you, I just, uh, I love, I love the, uh, I love playing with the uh, chat GPT. I was actually yep. just preparing for this uh this podcast, I was uh, kind of doing a little bit of research on what the internet thinks is going on in retail trends. And mm -hmm. uh, just, uh, you know, typing a simple question into Jet chat GPT is so much richer than doing a Google search. Um, so I'm, I'm, what's tech connecting with me is AI and where the use cases are in retail for it and how we help our customers have uh, a strategic advantage. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm gonna have to do a tally at the end of the year of how many people have answered ChatGPT. ChatGPT. Well, like, I mean, I can't has blame anything anyone. been more impactful just on general. Yeah, like, I doubt. Ooh, wow! I mean, if we, were, if we were doing this podcast back when yeah. I don't know, you know, like the the iPhone came out mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. you know the you know electricity was first founded, I'm I'm pretty sure that would have been the top of the list then. You know, so it's, so so it's Jeff, uncomparable. Yeah, the big question, Jeff, is when does Cyberdyne take over? When when are we <laughs> when are we dead? I mean, are you on that camp that you know or you know, like? That's usually my question. That is usually yeah. your kind of question, but but Jeff probably has a pretty good answer. I don't know. Are we two, three years out? Are we what? You know, well, the the rate of acceleration is accelerating. I mean, That's it's true. just crazy. It's just crazy to to try to think about what it's going to look like in two years, let alone yeah, six months. Sure. Um, but uh, no, I don't have a, an over under on this one. I <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> well, the good news is what Chat GPT's data is only updated through 2021, I think. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you got we got a couple of years on it, right? At least, yeah. right? <laughs> wasn't wasn't it initially when they first launched it, it didn't actually even have information about COVID? Right. Like yeah. the very Oops. first iteration had yeah. not been taught on up to COVID, mm -hmm. so it didn't know COVID even existed yet at that right. point. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, once it keeps me like up to date with modern events, that's when maybe I'm gonna be a little more scared when it knows yeah. what's happening in the moment. But yeah, fair enough. For now, maybe maybe we can still get potentially out in front of it if something yeah. goes wrong. Uh, Andrew, what about you? What's tech connecting with you right now? Um, so you know, uh, to me, uh, the thing that's sort of super interesting, uh, and again, it's something that's been out there for a while, is RFID. Uh, and I know RFID is mm, everywhere. Yes, but. Um, you know, my understanding is that the, the cost of the tags are dropping uh, and there are more retailers enabling the products that they have with the tags. And, um, you know, the, the whole notion that, you know, you wave a device and capture everything in your cart and all of a sudden, you know, you get a spit out of a bill and, and you pay it and then you tap and go. Uh, there is a vision for future frictionless checkout that you can you can you can see with this. Right. Um, it is something that can be done uh, technically today, and it is something that you know uh, people are working on, which is very cool. Um, you know, so again, to me, the RFID technology, you know, um, is is super interesting. Uh, you know, tracking uh, technology, um, you know, where 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 someone's physically, you know, positioned in the in the, in the world, um, you know, certainly has a lot of input data. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of uh, wireless technologies that I think about and, and, and how, how that impacts retail and, and, and you know, uh, daily life. And so those are the ones that are sort of top of mind for me. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Uh, RFID. I mean, we've told the story. I, I like my daughter works at, you know, is somewhat of a major retailer and she, they have RFID down to the SKU level and it enables her. She can do a, a store count, actually two stores because they're right next to each other. Full inventory count in like an hour. But she already thinks that's too long. Though. She already does think that's too long. But <laughs> she, she was just complaining the other day that what that actually did is free up the staff so that they can do uh, uh, fulfillment, order fulfillment for online orders nice. in store. So they're still busy. You know, they still, you know. That's the point. It's they used to, to be doing yeah. three, four hours of inventory count. Well, that's down to an hour, but now I spend the other two, three hours oh, doing yeah. in-store. I guess I get that because my, in my retail days, I liked mm -hmm. it holding up in the back room for like right. six hours on a Friday <laughs> to unbox all the inventory and put it out. That's now, right. And now yeah. if you told me like that the scanning piece is, could be done in no time yeah. and it was in a blink yeah, yeah exactly right. yeah. I, I can understand like but yeah, but i wanted to crank up my music for hours on end and not have to deal with customers <laughs> i guess i get it so andy you got another tech connecting with i know you were just on here uh, a couple weeks ago but maybe you got another one that's con connecting with you 
Yeah, sure. You know, I have one that I, that I think John will like, Dean. I know it's going to hit a little home for you, so you might not enjoy it as much. But I, I saw an article today, and it, it's going to put one of your biggest pastimes at risk here, because I think Uh-oh. next to uh, next to bourbon, this might be one of your biggest hobbies. And and so there was a story <laughs> that just came out today that New York City banned TikTok on city-owned devices. So oh, uh, wow. you're going to need to find a new pastime, my friend. I think you know in, this, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate to tell you, you're you're barking up the wrong tree there. Same here, sure. Yeah, yeah. Dean's all about banning the TikTok. But no TikTok. I, yeah. you know, I it's one of those things. I find it fun. I'm you will never find me um, recording a video there. Mm-hmm. I just I do not have. You're a window uh, shopper. And I'm a creative guy, but whatever it takes to be that kind of person, that kind of creative person is just not my yeah, not you. my mentality to I do that. You. But I enjoy, yeah, I enjoy watching. There's lots of fun stuff. So the there, city so. of New York banned it. Is that what you're saying, Andy? And just yeah, on like on city the, devices, right? on city, city devices. owned devices, not not being used in New York, but on their their devices. Yeah, I think what was it, the state of Montana that tried to do that also, mm-hmm. and it's there's some litigation going on about that. So be interesting to see where all that goes, Andrew. But, but, but what Andy is saying is actually super relevant because, yeah. um, you know, I was watching, you know, I, was, I, I, you know, I have a teenage daughter and she's, you know, in high school and, you know, she never really watches television. Uh, you know, I when I was a kid all the time, TV was on, watching baseball, watching TV shows, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Her, it's 100 percent TikTok and, 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 you know, Instagram. And, and these are the platforms that are the new advertising platforms for the future mm-hmm. generations. Um, we've got to find ways to leverage that technology so that you get, you know, customers coming into the store and buying things, you know, in, in, the, in the way that, that retailers want it. This tying things into those types of campaigns really, you know, is sort of the, 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 the that's going to happen whether we want it or not. So, you know, yeah, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not a social media guy, but ultimately you know, I see it all the time. Like, you know, it's the, all of the, the kids these days, they're focused only on that. And this is where it's no longer Google that's providing this information. It's really, you know, it's TikTok and it's, you know, Instagram and it's these social media sites that are driving, um, you know, sort of interest and eyeballs and engagement. And then from there, how do you convert that into a, a retail store visit to, to actually convert into a sale? Like, these are so again it's a it's a, you know it's a funny start but andy but but he's so right it's it is one of the largest tech you know sort of of of, of shifts that are happening especially in advertising right i don't mm-hmm. think television is going to be what it's going to be when my daughter is my age right yep. yeah we need a I whole agree. other webinar on these on these topics right here <laughs> you just open up a can of worms there my friend no, I, mean, yeah, I know I mean, we were having some fun with it but all kidding aside i mean Social commerce is, you know, coming in hot right now, right? You know, I was at Shop Talk back in March, um, you know, which was obviously a pretty big show for our clients. And and, um, they, you know, at that show, TikTok had a booth. I think Instagram had a booth. Snap definitely had a booth. They all have commercial offerings for social commerce. Um, and, and it's an entirely new area that that's really picking up steam. I mean, obviously, YouTube and, you know, you go back to the days of QVC and some of the other, you know, uh, you know, TV based social you know, platforms. You know, now you're seeing it that convert to online. Yep. Yeah. 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 We're not that far away. I mean, it's already happening. We have brands that are making their name for themselves solely because of starting off on TikTok. Oh, for sure. And some of these other like short video yeah. platforms. Yeah. And I, I will not be surprised if in you know ten years from now we're talking about some of the biggest companies in the world that were like, yeah, we got our start on TikTok. We were you know, mm-hmm. you know promoting our goods out there, and now we're 
one of the biggest retail brands in the country or something. Oh, you're so. not getting those contracts as being an influencer? I thought no, you were like I'm a, not. Yeah. Is it Andy that's the influencer? <laughs> I don't know. Jeff Riley could clearly be an influencer. <laughs> and social media. Well, yeah, I think good stuff. I, I hate to say it, but I think we're probably all a little too old for that. Yeah. There's a. I feel like we don't fit the demo. There's a line of demarcation when it comes to your age <laughs> and what can make you an influencer these days. And I, I've been say we've all crossed at this point, but not a good influence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Fair enough. All right. That is what's tech connected with us. Uh, it is time for us to unplug. As I mentioned, this episode will be out on August 31st at the Technic Podcast feed. Check it out. Subscribe to the show. A uh, big thank you to Andrew, Andy, and Jeff. Thanks, thanks to our audience who are watching today. And of course, a big thanks to Zebra for sponsoring this episode. Until next time, folks, please stay connected. Technic Podcast is brought to you by Zebra. Make more, earn more, and sell more with Zebra. Could you need any more? No. No. <laughs> there's, want, there's your marching orders. I want all those things. Maybe yes. that's the selling part. I mean, you know, oh, you, I'm, well, I'm not yeah. a sales guy anymore, I suppose. But if I were, if I'd you had a sales staff, board. there you go. Yes, yeah. yeah. Get a staff. Uh, Zebra Partners can combine promotions, spiffs, and trading incentives for a perfect sales trifecta of rewards. Nice. Developed to expand awareness within the Zebra reseller community, the sales trifecta campaign highlights the benefits of combining eligible and active promotions and incentives to increase partner margin, motivate sales reps, and drive customer opportunities. There you to go. learn more, check out the link in the show notes, but you must be a Zebra partner to access and take advantage of this campaign. So, you know, sign well, up. Why wouldn't you be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go sign up. Do it now. Technic Podcast is also brought to you by ELO. All right, we talked a lot about point of sale today, obviously. Yes, we did. Talking point. Yep. Uh, modern point of sale goes a, beyond just having a touch display and cloud software. Oh, this is true. You need sleek, functional accessories, too. Oh, tell me more. Uh, ELO has that covered with their retail-hardened Z-Series POS stands. Nice. Each model of the Z-Stand offers cable concealment to keep the counter spaces clean. Got to make it look good. Uh, that's right. A single cable connection to add a customer phase of display mm. and compatibility with ELO's I-Series displays. The Z20 and 30 offer integrated I.O. and the Z30 can include an integrated customer display. So you've got plenty of options. Here. Absolutely. The Z stands are also available as a component of prepackaged ELO Pause Android point of sale solutions for compact spaces, full service to self-service versatility, or maximum connectivity with interactive CFE. Nice. To compare options and find the right stand for your next POS install, check out the link in the show notes or contact the Blue Star ELO team.